This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Hello, I'm James Tu, Senior Director of Content and Communications at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to Faculty Focus. This podcast features interviews with Trine University faculty members about their current research and their insights on issues impacting us all today. Today I have three guests who will be talking about their participation in the Fort Wayne Teaching and Learning Conference on February 21st at the Purdue-Fort Wayne campus. Dr. Gary Green is Associate Professor of Civil Engineering and will lead a session on using multiple choice questions to engage learners. Dr. Jeremy Rentz is also an Associate Professor of Civil Engineering and will lead a session on intentional questions as a complement to lecture. Michelle Blank is Assistant Professor of English and will talk about strategies to better engage learners. Thank you all for joining me today. Thank you, James. We're glad to be here. To start, can you tell me a bit about what the Fort Wayne Teaching and Learning Conference is and how you all became involved in it? Um, The Fort Wayne Teaching and Learning Conference is something that's grown over the last uh, decade or so. Uh, It started as the Dean's Conference, uh, where all the area deans invited speakers to help their faculty uh, learn more, get together, uh, and just talk about teaching and learning. Uh, Over the last few years, it has merged a little bit, um, but essentially it is all of the area colleges, they get together. Uh, they organize a few speakers, and uh, we, we have a good day of um, camaraderie and uh, a good day of, of learning new teaching from others in the area. And, and so it's pretty much just kind of the, the local area um, faculty kind of you're all presenting to each other, or are there outside people brought in? This year we have two main speakers. Uh, They are experts in their field, so there's always a a main plenary session. Uh, And then the rest of the conference is um, local professors from all of the area schools like Purdue-Fort Wayne, uh, Manchester, Huntington, Ivy Tech, uh, St. Francis, uh, and I imagine I'm missing one, um, but generally professors from all of those local schools. Well, Gary, I'll start off with you. I know your session is based on concepts from a book by James Lane titled Small Teaching. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that book? Yes. uh, Well, Small Teaching was the focus of our faculty book club uh, during the summer of 2018. Uh, The book contained many small suggestions for things that faculty could do in the classroom to improve teaching. Most of the chapters had a a beginning that summarized some of the research uh, that was a applicable to that topic. Uh, There were chapters on having students practice retrieving, that is trying to remember the content that that had been taught to them. There was a a chapter on the value of students making predictions and a chapter on methods to help students connect the new material to material that had been taught to them previously. So the faculty book club, that's something here at Trine or is that something with other institutions? Yes, that was something here at Trine. That was something that CTE organized and put together. And then the faculty would come and meet typically once a week, every other week, and uh, share what they had learned as they were reading the book. Okay. So for maybe somebody who's listening who's not part of Trine faculty, can you describe, can you tell me what CTE means and describe it a little bit? Um, Many schools across the country have centers on their campus where they try to help 
their professors um, improve, get better. Uh, so ours is called the Center for Teaching Excellence. Uh, and it's uh, myself and uh, Michelle Blank currently are the folks that uh, organize most of the events. Uh, but generally speaking, it is opportunities for faculty to get to know one another here on campus, and it's opportunities for faculty to learn something new about teaching. There are all kinds of programs, uh, sessions, book clubs. Um, we do some mini conferences to start the school year. Uh, we have a wide variety of things that we uh, try to push out so that uh, faculty can find the item that uh, works best for them so that they can try to pick up uh, a tidbit or something new to apply to their teaching. Okay, um, Gary, kind of getting back to your session, um, I know it's focusing on how to use multiple choice questions to engage students. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the methods you plan to cover in this. So a lot of times a topic that an instructor is going to teach is actually the combination of, of many concepts. And so the idea is that as, if an instructor can unpack that, teach one topic to us, uh, one concept to a student, and then give the students an opportunity to, to think about that topic and test their understanding. And that's where the multiple choice question comes in. By limiting the number of choices, it, it, it puts less strain on their working memory. That is how many things they have to hold in their memory at one time. It also gives them a chance for formative learning and uh, to, to practice before they move on to the next step and then learn a new topic and then can be given another opportunity to practice that as well. So is it like if, if I've got an A, B, C, or D, I'm less nervous because I know I have a one in four shot of getting the right answer, or is it maybe a little bit more complex than that? Well, that's part of it. If, if the question were open-ended, then the student would have to pull everything out of their memory, whereas if they have multiple choices to consider. They could consider A and, and determine, well, is that a reasonable answer or not? It's easier for them to practice as, as they're just beginning to learn a new, a new topic. And you mentioned formative learning in there. Can you kind of describe that concept a little bit? When we think about course design and learning, we basically have, have two sections, practice and performance. So formative is the practice. And what Gary's going to be presenting on is is that formative part when students are learning something new and they're practicing that concept and understanding that concept versus the summative part which is the performance so it's the test or the speech or the paper or whatever um, so he's he's dealing with more the practice part of it than the performance part Jeremy your session talks about the need for educators to have other tools besides lecture available um, how or why does lecture fall short as an educational tool? So one of the big questions that we ask faculty is, are you focused on teaching in the classroom or are you focused on student learning in the classroom? And those are two very different questions. And often when you talk to professors at the collegiate level, they tend to, to migrate more towards the I teach, um, I present information, and it's up to the students to figure out how to learn it. Um, we are trying to push a concept or maybe more of a, an approach where our job as college professors isn't just to teach, it's also to worry about are the students actually learning in the classroom. 
And one of the things that lecture tries to do is lecture tries to put information into students' brains. But with all of the research over the last 25 or 30 years and some of the really important studies in the last 10 years, we found that people don't really learn when you put information into their brain. People really only learn when you pull things out of their brain. So lecture as a teaching tool, as a learning tool, um, might not be the most effective strategy. So one of the things that I'm going to try to do at my session is to convince faculty to consider pulling information out of students' brains instead of trying to push it into students' brains, which is historically what, uh, what lectures do. So when you're talking about pulling information out of students, I know your session talks about a concept called um, intentional questions. Is that what intentional questions are? Absolutely. So what we want uh, faculty to do is, yeah, I, I don't say get rid of lecture. If you would have seen me in class today, uh, one class I didn't talk very much, another class I talked way too much, uh, and the other class was probably a good mixture of both. Uh, so even I still like, like lecture. But interspersed within me preaching and talking about environmental engineering, I want to have moments, I want to have questions where the students are the ones doing all of the work. Uh, I use the word intentional here. This is actually something that uh, Michelle has probably coined. Um, you know, we've had conversations over the last few years about what does this really mean. We want faculty to have questions planned. We want them to take time and we want to give students time to actually ponder them. Normally when faculty are lecturing, they'll stop, they'll ask a question, We'll call it a jump ball. They'll let uh, the first person answer. They might wait for a hand to go up. Sometimes that uh, really smart student just shouts the answer out. And essentially, the only person that learned in the classroom is that one person that shouted the answer. We want to form um, opportunities where everyone in the classroom is learning. So I put all of my questions on my slides. So it causes the lecture to stop. I give the kids a few seconds to read the question. I tell them to put their notes away. I tell them to think about it for a while. If I'm doing a really good job, I'll have them write the answer down. After they've written the answer down, I'll have them turn to a partner to discuss. And then after all of that, if it's a really hard topic, we'll have them report out to the whole group. If it's something that I think they probably got with their discussion with their partner, we'll move on. But instead of that one singular jump ball question where one person did the learning, now I have the entire class engaged, the entire class thinking about my material, and it really doesn't take much effort. You just have to stop, you have to have your questions well planned, and you have to make sure that everyone in the classroom is actually thinking about your question. You, you talked about you know having the students maybe kind of collaborate and and work through. Is that what you refer to as a learning moment, or is that kind of a different concept? Absolutely, it counts, but learning moments can be any time where the students are working on your material. Um, the phrase that my mother-in-law likes to use is, the one doing the work is the one doing the learning. So if I'm up there lecturing, I'm actually doing a really good job reinforcing my knowledge of the subject material. So learning moments are those times where I step back, I get out of the way, 
and I give the students a chance to work on the material. It might be a problem. It might be a discussion question. It might be as individuals or partners or larger groups. There's a wide variety of things that people can do, and that's what I'm going to really try to focus on uh, during my session at the, the teaching conference. Okay. Now, do you think lecture still has a place in teaching, or should it be done away with altogether? As I said a few minutes ago, I still lecture a lot. Um, I was, as I was leaving class today, I was walking down the stairs, and I was like, wow, that was exhilarating. So I know why faculty love it. We all love our subject matter. We all really like to preach. Uh, sometimes I really feel like I'm behind the pulpit up there, and I'm just preaching. Um, but we have to reflect and, and think to ourselves, did the students actually learn anything? And when that's the question that you're asking, um, there's a time and a place for lecture. Um, most of my really effective classes have five or 10 minutes of lecture, 25 to 35 minutes of student activity. Uh, so I still use it in that content, context. Um, lecture is a great thing in some instances. It might be the right tool in some instances. Um, the reason I'm doing the session is that too many people use lecture as the only tool, right? And what we really want faculty to do is pick up something else, all right? Stop talking for five minutes, let the students do something, and as soon as you find how effective these other teaching strategies happen to be, it's kind of like a gateway, and you stop talking a little more in class. And progressively over the years, we're not going to eliminate lecture. That's certainly not going to happen. Uh, but we just want people to stop lecturing the whole time. Michelle, your session talks about Drew and Gunn, which uh, represent different parts of our brain and how we learn. Um, can you explain for our listeners and for me uh, who Drew and Gunn are and what they do? Sure. Uh, interesting abstract, huh? I'm hoping the people at the conference next month will be as interested and want to at least come and find out what is she going to talk about. So... Daniel Kahneman wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. And in that book, he uh, delineates the kind of what he calls two systems of the brain, system one and system two. System one is the fast thinking, come up with the answer, what we might call muscle memory part of the brain. System two is that slower, more deliberate part. And uh, to extend that analogy, some folks over at a, at a place called Veritasium uh, put together a video where they, instead of just system one and system two, they, they made them characters. So system one, the quick, is gun. So a quick draw, and he, do, he does all of the things like tie your shoe that you just kind of do without thinking about. Maybe driving falls in that category, which is a very scary thought. Um, system two, then, is Drew, and Drew likes to sit in the chair. He's slow, he's deliberate, he's accurate. He's going to get the right answer, but it's going to take him a while. But for learning to happen, Drew has to get out of the chair. We can't learn with gun. Gun just does things fast, but he doesn't learn. And so we can see when students move from that glazed, yeah, I'm just writing down what you're saying or writing down what's on your slide, to actually having the brain engaged where learning can start happening. We can actually see it because their pupils will dilate. Um, and if you've taught for a while, you'll see other mannerisms that change within your class when Drew gets engaged. Okay. So if I'm understanding it, Gunn is kind of more reactive. He's, he's kind of in, instinct. Sure. Sure. Instinct would be a part of what he does. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Um, so what are some things that educators can do to get Drew out of his easy chair or whatever and, and really engage their learners? Sure. So um, next month in Fort Wayne, I'll be talking about elaboration with note making. Um, in my class, I teach my students, we don't take notes. Take notes is gun. It's quick. It's just copying down what's there. You're not actually thinking about it. We want Drew engaged so we can be learning. So as educators, if we are helping our students learn to elaborate, which means to make connections to what they already know, um, that forces Drew out of the chair. So you can't make connections to what you already know if you're not thinking about what you already know. So having our students stop and add to the notes that they're making information about maybe a memory they have or an experience they've had in the past. So elaboration is one way. Um, having students dual code where they're using both words and pictures. So I've talked with you, maybe I've lectured for five or ten minutes and now I'm going to have you draw. You're going to turn that into a graph, you're going to turn that into an equation, you're going to turn that into a picture because you can't turn something into a graphic with use, just using gun. You have to engage Drew to do that and it forces them to think about um, you know, why this? Often the slides I use in class have a picture and I'll ask the students, why did I choose this picture to represent this concept? They have to engage Drew to be able to answer that question. You changed tone a little bit when you mentioned lecture, so I'm guessing lecture <laughs> is more of a gun type uh, activity than a Drew type activity. It doesn't have to be, um, but too often for our students it is. They have learned really well how to just tune us out, um, kind of like what our kids do at home. They've learned to just tune our voices out. They've learned to just stare at our PowerPoints. Um, they've learned how to just engage gun and keep Drew in the easy chair because that's where Drew wants to be and it's comfortable. It's much easier. Um, even if you ask students, and we've got research to support it, if you ask students, did you learn more in a lecture? Did you learn more in an active learning setting? They will tell you they learned more in a lecture. But when we test them, we find out that's not the case. Why do you think if we learn better using Drew, why do you think it's harder to get him out of that easy chair? Because he's lazy. Our, our brain naturally will protect itself. And so Drew is lazy. And anything that Gunn can do, he will. Uh, that's just the way our brain works. And we've convinced ourselves that if it feels comfortable, then that must be where I'm learning the most. And that's just not the case. Learning is work. It's hard. The doer's the learner. It's a hard thing, and you have to work at it. So getting Drew out of that chair isn't easy. All right. Well, once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Gary Green, Dr. Jeremy Rents, and Michelle Blank for joining me today for Faculty Focus. Be sure to check back at trineradio.com for new episodes as Trine University faculty members talk about their research interests and the issues of the day. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.